share something with y'all. It's not a not a happy story, but you know, God tends to show out in ways that we we just don't even realize. You know, even in the even in the deepest tragedies, you can look and you can see God working around you. You know, and uh, me and Dee were watching a show, and I said it's not a happy story, but it was a young couple. They were they were Christian, and uh, they worked at the Christian summer camp or whatever, a Christian camp, and they they had gone and they had camped on a beach, and uh, and this is the sad part now, but we'll just stick with me here. But they were they were killed on that beach. And that was sad. They were going to be married, you know, they were going to have a life and everything. But uh, we watched the show and we watched how the detectives went from one person to the other. And it wasn't until several years later, and it was a guy that they had interviewed early on, but there was a man that had, uh, yeah, I'll go ahead. Y'all, y'all are big people. Y'all are, y'all are adults. But he had shot his brother and he was sitting in prison. And they didn't say a whole lot about it, but, you know, his, their, their parents were Christian. Everybody at the camp had been affected by what had happened to them, you know, and they had prayed for them, and when they didn't show up, they, they were concerned about them. But, uh, you know, and on the show, they didn't say a whole lot. They just kind of passed this on, and you didn't hear a whole lot said about it, but I caught it because I kind of listened for things. But the fellow was in prison. Are you sitting in jail? And he'd spent started spending time reading the Bible. And uh, this was probably one sentence through the whole show. But he'd he started reading the Bible while he was in jail, and he got under conviction. And he made a note, and he threw it out to the guard. And he confessed to what he'd done to them. Not only did he confess... But, you know, they never found shells at the site. And uh, he confessed so much that he told them, yeah, one shell hung up in the gun, and the other one I picked up. I put them both in a soda can. And then he told the detective exactly where that soda can was. This was years later. I forget how many years, maybe 10 years, 15 it happened in the 90s, late 90s, 95. This was 2018 or something like that. And, uh, no, 2004. It happened in 2004, and this was in, like, 2018 that he, he confessed. The detective went down the road, went, and that can was sitting there that whole time. And they cut open the can, and there's those two shells in there, and the shells matched the ballistics and everything. And uh, I told Dee after the show... You know, and because I'd seen what had come out of another tragedy years and years ago with Columbine. You know, Columbine was a school shooting. It was one of the first big ones. You remember that? And uh, there were a couple people that lost their lives because of their testimony. You know, they were, they were actually asked, do you love God? You know, and she said, you know I do. And he shot her. And, uh, but... Things had come out of that, too. There was a revival that took place in that town, in a sense. You know, there was a lot of people that drew closer to God. Matter of fact, I got uh, Rachel Scott's poem here in my Bible. But to finish up with that other couple, that that never would have happened. 
They never would have found him. They never would have caught him all them years later. They didn't have anything on him. But he got to reading the Bible, and the Lord moved on his heart. I don't know what the condition of his soul was. I don't know if he got saved. You know, We still had to deal with the consequences of our sins. And that's what I tell him at the jail. I said, you know, trust in the Lord, getting saved, it doesn't get you away from the consequences of what you did. You still have to pay, but you're no longer alone. You know, you're no longer alone with this, and you do have eternal life. And some people say, well, you know, how can God save somebody that can kill somebody? And it's like, well, every one of you sitting here killed Jesus Christ. Amen. Every one of you here was a nail driven into a, a driven into his hand. Every one of our sins was one of those spikes on the crown, you know. But uh, you just see God work in different things. And uh, just because I mentioned it, it doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but uh, Rachel Scott's dad published a book or her journal, you know, years later. And I had found this poem in there. And she... She had trusted the Lord in, in her journal, and her writings. You see a typical teenager that's, you know, trying to work her way through things. And she, she wrote this poem, and it just struck me. She said, break me. Try not to get worked up here. She said, break me of my pride, O God. Tear down my string of sins. This life of filth and worthlessness unto you I willingly give. She said, take it from me, all of it. Do with it what you will. Take me and mold me, God. Your foundation begin to build. My life has brought me only shame. Through it, your will be done. What once was sorrow and endless blame, now the start of things to come. My story, now a testimony. I think nothing short of God. I keep his name forever holy, for my life with his blood is bought. And I made the note down there, Rachel Joy Scott shot to death April 20th, 1999 at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado after confessing her love for God. And uh, it does have a little bit to do with the sermon because here in Psalm 64, all it says is a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And some of the commentators will say that this was when David was on the run from Absalom and, uh, I, I told Miss Rachel, I said, I started, you know, you, you read a psalm and you're like, okay, well, that was a short one. That was nice, man. That was real nice. And then you start studying it, you know. And it's like you start to read it and you're like, well, I don't know if there's a sermon in that. And then uh, by the time you get through studying, you're like, well, which one do I preach? <laughs> which sermon do I preach? But uh, David, it's possible that he was on the run from Absalom, but whether he was or not, we know we see David's heart in the Psalms. You know, the Bible tells us David is a man, was a man after God's own heart. When God had rejected Saul and Samuel said, God has saw him a man after his own heart, that man was David. And we see it in his life. We see it when he stood before Goliath and he had the faith enough to stand as a, as a young man in front of Goliath that everyone else was afraid of. But he stood there and he said, you know, God will fight for me. He threw the rock out there, and God guided it, and one rock took down that giant. You know, that's a lot. And anybody else could walk away, I got him, man. I, I nailed that. No, David gave God the glory on everything. 
We see David running from Saul in the wilderness, and we see men following him because they see something in him. And we see David at his darkest times because the king that he's done nothing to is after him, a king with an army. And all he has is a band and a few friends. And he's hiding in the caves, and he's running from Saul, and Saul would hear he was over here. Saul had killed the priests. If Saul will kill priests, imagine what he's got in store for David. But David trusts the Lord in all that time. And we see David's heart when he had the opportunity to kill Saul a few times. And he said, now not touch God's anointed. David was a man after God's own heart. When David saw the things of God, he didn't get in the way. He didn't touch. He said, that's God's anointed. God will take him out when he's ready to. David had been anointed to be king while all this was going on, but he didn't declare his rights. He didn't fight for his rights. He didn't say, I've been given the throne. He didn't do any of that. Because if he'd have done that, he would have taken that opportunity to take Saul because everybody would have acknowledged, David, you are king. They saw him fight the Philistines. They saw him come back with the 104 skins of the Philistines. They'd seen him. They said, David slain slain his ten thousands and saw his thousands. Politically, David could have stepped right in. But David left things up to God. And then here and later in life, and let's just, let's just for the sake of this sermon, let's just say that this is, in fact, when he was running from Absalom. Because you could picture David in any moment. He's in the wilderness in Judah, outside of Judah, the wilderness of Judah. He's not in the palace. He's been run out. His son has taken the throne. And rather than cause bloodshed, David abdicated the throne. He pulled his people with him. Some he smartly sent back as spies, but he pulled his people with him. He said, I, want no, I don't want anyone to die over this. This is God's punishment for what I did with Bathsheba. This is God's punishment for what I did to Uriah the Hittite. He could see that, and he acknowledged that. He, he acknowledged the chastening of the Lord. And let me tell you, if you want to have a heart like God, you don't get it by standing on your rights. You know, here in America, we like to stand up for our rights. We say, I got a right. <laughs> There's a goofball on the Internet. It's, it's been out for years. He, it shows him getting arrested for drunk driving. He said, I know my rights. I know my rights. <laughs> While they take him down. You can stand on your rights. It doesn't mean anything. But you stand behind the Lord and let the Lord lead. And he will direct you. He'll put you on the right path. If he wants something replaced, he'll take care of it. And David always left it in the Lord's hands. He said, it may be that the Lord will let me come back. And we know that the Lord did. So here he is in the wilderness of Judah. We're going to read it, and then we're going to look at it. He says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied. We're in Psalm 63, verse number 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. 
My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast, helped, hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek to destroy those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Let's pray. Amen. So David, a man after God's own heart, in the Psalms, we see past the stories and the events, and we get a glimpse directly into his heart when we look at it. You think of all the political intrigue that was going on at the time, all of the things that were taking place at the time, and all the things that David could have been worried about. You know how when you get up in the morning, it's like, I need to go pay this bill, I need to go make this errand, I need to go take care of this, I need to do this, I need to do that. Imagine how much more a king has on his mind when he has people following him out into the wilderness of Judah. Imagine how much more David would have on his mind as he worries about Absalom, what Absalom is going to do, as he worries about what the spy is going to tell him and how he's going to react to what the spy tells him and what's going to take place. What's going to happen to the palace while he's gone? With all that going on, David is out in the wilderness of Judah and his heart, the Bible says, he says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry, thirsty land where no water is. You know, sometimes David did seem to forget God. We can forget God in our daily lives, and sometimes it seems that he did. We see him fall into the bottom of his spiritual relationship with God, but even when he, even then, he found himself on the receiving end of God's anger, even then he put his trust in the Lord. When we get out of line as children of God, the Lord will correct you, and the Bible calls this chastening. I think this is important for a reason, because there's people that get mad when God gets a hold of them. There's people that say, well, this shouldn't have happened. If God was a good God, this wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have taken place. And they never think about what they might have done to put themselves in that position. I'm not saying that everything bad that happens is because you're evil. That's the wrong way to go, right? Job's friends went down that road. That's not the way God works. But God will speak to your heart when you're in the middle of the circumstances. He will prick you in your heart and tell you, you remember this? This is why this is. And he'll tell you. Nobody else may know, but God will speak to your heart and let you know. And David knew, even as he's out there and everybody's saying, no, this probably isn't, or why is this happening, or what's going on, David in his heart, he knows that what's happening to him is because of what's done. Because Nathan, when Nathan the prophet had called him out and he said, thou art the man, David repented and admitted his mistake and God forgave him, but he still had to face the consequences. Over in 2 Samuel 12, 10, Nathan said, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be wife. 
I think those words might have been ringing in David's ears as he's out there in the wilderness. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, just a couple verses down, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. That's something to remember, Christian. You may mess up with God, and you need to fess up. But there's something to remember. You're still a child of God. I may beat the Caleb within an inch of his life, and that's a joke for the Internet. But he's still my son, and I love him. But uh, when we sin against man, we sin against the Lord, and there's consequences. You remain a child of God, but often those consequences of your sin remain. Now, a lot of people do get mad at God, but that wasn't David's way. God, David turned to God in these moments. David would get down on his knees, but it wasn't just praying to God, oh, Lord, save me, oh, Lord, save me. Oh, I see the, I see the enemy coming, Lord, save me from the enemy. Lord, save me from this. Lord, pay this bill for me. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. Lord, please, Lord, Lord, Lord. And all we do, we, we get to asking and we get to asking and we get to asking. But you know what David did, the man after God's own heart? He just opened himself up to him. The Bible says in Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, Jesus said not to, not to worry about that. You, you still do them. You still take care of them. But he said to put it on him. He'll take care of it. And it's, it's kind of tough. It's, it's like walking through a storm and everything's blowing around you and there's furniture blowing past you in a hurricane and all that, but you know that God's going to take care of you. You know that God's going to provide. And it's, it's doing what you need to do in spite of that storm going around you. And here's David. His first thought is to pray to the Lord. So he's in the wilderness, and he's away from the center of worship in Judah, and in spite of all the drama that's going on around him while he's in the wilderness, he doesn't just revel in God's goodness. He offers praise to God at every turn. Now, isn't that different from a lot of the prayers we have when we're saying, Lord, help us? He isn't just reveling in God's goodness. That other stuff will take care of itself. But think about, if in your own life, take some time to think about how good God has been to you. It's kind of like those two stories I told you. They're awful. That was terrible, what happened. And it's happened again and again. It happened here in Santa Fe. But in that one time, and you look, and you see that some people got saved. You see that others came closer to God. You see that years later, I can pull out a poem of a young girl that said, Lord, take my life, take all of it, and telling God, this is all I have to offer you. And it's her testimony that I remember 20 years later saying, Dylan said, do you love God? She said, Dylan, you know that I do, because she didn't hide her light under a bushel there in the school. She said, you know that I do. And he was filled, I think he was filled with the rage of Satan. I think that all the things that he'd gotten involved in, I think that, you know, there's a spirit. You know when the spirit of God is within you, right? 
You know when the Spirit of God is working through you, you see people say, I want to know more about Jesus. It's like, where did that come from? When you draw close to God, people kind of, they'll either be repelled or they'll be drawn to you. And I think in that moment, Dylan was just filled with hatred. And he had that gun in his hand. And he pulled it up and he just shot her right there. And he killed her for her testimony. She didn't beg. She didn't plead. She wasn't happy about it, I know. And I'm not celebrating it. But I'm telling you, God works in all kinds of circumstances. When you lose somebody or whether you gain someone, give God the glory. Look for God to be working in your life. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the tragedy, we don't see what God has in front of us. As we peer into David's heart, we see a soul that longs for God. We see his desire for fellowship with God. His longing leads to a satisfied soul, and a satisfied soul is one that clings to God. He says in the first verse, look at this, number one. He says, oh God, thou art my God. Now that's just a few words. That's just four words, right, or five words. He says, oh God, thou art my God. But you know what? Not everybody can say that. There's requirements to be able to say that because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were looking at that in the Bible this morning, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can't go before God in your sinful form. You can't claim God as your God if your life is full of sin. But he made a way. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could say, Oh God, thou art my God. I remember when I first got saved, I don't remember a whole lot, but I tell you, I remember one thing was knowing that I was right with God. I didn't have a preacher to tell me. I didn't have anybody to follow up with me. I didn't have anybody to teach me Bible. But I remember thinking, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I remember thinking, I'm not alone. I'm right with God. I didn't know about the blood. I barely knew about the cross. I just knew that Jesus died for my sin. Sometimes that's all it takes. You don't need to stay there. But God gives you grace in that way. He says, oh God, thou art my God, his God. The atheist claims there is no God. The pagan claims there's many gods. But the Christian claims that God is his God. You think about their worship and the pagans' worship. They're worshiping some God that's at a distance. There's people that talk about God, and he's at a distance to them. But as a Christian, he's our God. David says, oh, God, thou art my God. He's claiming the God of the universe is his own. There's a boldness in the statement. There's a confidence to be able to say that the God of all creation is your God and own it. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You see, not everyone can say that God is their God. There are those who believe in God but won't claim him as their God. Sometimes it's a hard thing to talk to somebody, and I can't tell you how bad it hurts. 
about somebody that was close to me, somebody that I knew my whole life, not able to talk to them about the Lord because it just it just brought up arguments. It just brought up, and, and to my shame, I back off, hoping one day I'd be able to, but I never got that chance. So David not only claims God as his own, but he has a desire for more of God. I want to say that a soul that longs for God will seek after God. Look in the verse. He says, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. David describes his soul as being a dry, thirsty land where no water is. How many of you been there, Christian? How many of you been there in that dry spell? How many of you been there in that spot where it's so dry? That's the only way you know to describe it. There's something refreshing about the Word of God. There's something refreshing about a relationship with God. There's something refreshing about being able to see God work around you in the lives of others and in your own life. After the resurrection, there were some disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus and talking to Jesus about the crucifixion. They didn't realize they were talking to him as he taught about his coming. He went into, he went into the Old Testament and he went from Moses on showing I was there. They didn't realize they were talking to Jesus who had just been crucified. And when they realized, when they dipped the sop and they looked around, And he disappeared. They looked around and they they realized that it was Jesus they'd been with the whole time. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? There's something about when God opens something up to you, when he shows you something in his word, your heart burns within you. It's like, man, I get to see a little peek of God. I get to see a little bit of God. I, I used to love the types. I still love the types. I used to get carried away is what I mean. But I, I'm not saying they're not there. But, man, I'd look in there. I'd see, I'd see the red flax of Rahab's on the, on the roof. I'd see the, I'd see the Israelite guys hiding up underneath the flax, and I would see the blood of Christ covering them. You see different things like that. I'd get in there, and I'd read, well, Edom's beans red and this and that and the red pottage. I just I would look for things. But you know what's even more glorious is just seeing God work through his word and seeing and seeing Jesus described in his word. Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And you look there and you see that for the first time in this life. There was Jesus. You read over there in Acts chapter number seven and you see the you see the first deacon as he stands before the Sanhedrin and that uh, head priest, that Pharisee, head Pharisee, he looks down and he says, are these things so? After they accuse him, he looks down and he says, are these things so? And he says his face was as it were an angel. Let me tell you something. When you read on after that, it's like, hold on. His face was as it were an angel. Because God's about to show you something. You start reading in there and he starts describing Joseph 
rising up to the right hand of Pharaoh. And I said, man, Pharaoh's a type of God. Joseph was a type of Christ. It's not hard, fast stuff, but you look in there and you see, if you see how God could use the lives of his saints to point to his son, Jesus Christ. Imagine what he's doing with your life. Those tragedies that you see, those things that just seem so off right then, what's God using in your life to shape the future? There's just something about God's word that feeds your spirit. When Jesus was sitting at the well, there was the woman at the well, and he said, but whosoever drinketh of this water, pointing at a well, he said, that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He was talking about himself. Not running dry. In John chapter 6, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. That dry, thirsty land. But see, it was a little bit different for David. When you rightly divide the word, you understand the center of worship was there in Judah. The high priest was there in Judah. God had set it all out in the law, in the ordinances, Worship took place in Judah. David was out in the wilderness away from that. And David looks longingly back at that temple. And he, he says, Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. You can be dry. You can run yourself spiritually dry trying to go through this life under your own strength. You'll still function. You'll still get things done. But inside, you'll be devoid of the joy that God gives you. And David feels like he's in a dry land. I found in life that you can be in an area where there's a revival going on all around you and you can enjoy God's presence. You can get caught up in it. When there's people getting saved and when there's people walking the aisle, when there's joy in the singing, when there's all kinds of stuff going on, you can get caught up in it, man. You can get fueled up and you can get excited. And I always talk about the meetings we went to and I'd take a week off just to go to it, you know, because I could. But uh, take a week off, that was our vacation, to go up there to meet all week, and man, it was crazy. I mean, there was a couple times they ran the aisles. It's hard not to get caught up in the excitement. We didn't handle snakes now. But and it was a little awkward, but I remember the preacher, they've already seen your car outside, just sit down and enjoy yourself, you know? So we did. And man, you'd hear the preaching, you'd hear the big preachers, you know, for us, it was a big name preacher, Joe Arthur, and some of the others, Brother Luther Spivey. Man, Brother Luther Spivey, get up there and get to preaching and get to foaming at the mouth. And <laughs> you, knew he, you knew he was getting close to done because he'd start to sweat through his suit. But man, I tell you, I remember more of Brother Luther Spivey's than I do some of the other preachers I've heard or a lot of the other preachers I heard. It was repetitive, but it drove home, and it got you thinking about God in ways that you hadn't thought of before, and it got to sinking into your heart so that later on you were thinking about it. I remember talking about running from the bear and getting in the house. You put your hand on the wall and getting bit by the snake. 
I remember the, the paw and horses. I remember things like that. And you can get caught up in that and you can enjoy it. But you get away and you ain't got a source on your own. You're not getting in the word of God on your own. You're not encouraging yourself in the Lord like David does. You start to run dry. You don't know it at first. His life goes on. You're still saved. You're still a Christian. You're still going to church. You're still doing the things you know to do. You're still walking right. You're still talking right. There's something just a little different. And it can happen to a preacher. And I dare tell you this. I dare tell you this. There have been times when I've run dry up here in the pulpit. And Miss Gay, you don't have to nod so hard. You may not realize it, but you can tell when the preacher's running dry. And you can tell when that source is getting a little dry. Everything's going. The sermon's still going. Things are going, but there's something dry. You're hurting my feelings, Miss Gay. But you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And it happens in your own life. You, you know, you can, you can make fun of the, not make fun, but you can get mad at the preacher. But let me tell you, in your own life, are there times when you've been running dry? When you've been out there in the wilderness and you say, oh, man, I remember back in the sanctuary, but something's not right here. I'm in a dry, thirsty land. See, David says, oh, God, my God. God is my God. Are you walking at a distance from him? Or is God your God? Do you have that fellowship with him? David longed to see the same power and glory that he had seen in God's sanctuary. We should look for God beyond the trappings of a church building. David went to the sanctuary and imagined the glory, God's presence behind the holiest of holies. God's presence with the ark of God. God's presence, the Shekinah glory of God, and seeing all of that. And, and the only thing I can think to compare it to is some of these churches. I've never been in one, but I've always seen these churches from medieval times or these huge churches like Notre Dame and things like that and walk in there. It's got to, you got to feel something, maybe. Don't get nervous on me. What I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is people can get so caught up in all the trappings of religion. They can go in there and they can feel something because they see that architecture and they see those statues and they see all of this magnificent stuff that man can build. And they walk in there and say, man, God's in this place. And they look at all that just like somebody that walks out in the woods and they say, man, God's in this place. But they're looking at everything that's around them. It's not hard for us to get caught up in, right? We got, you know, the building's old. We got some things that need fixing here and there. We got critters sometimes running around in the wood. But I tell you what, you can get just as caught up in everything around. You can get caught up in the programs. You can get caught up in, in meeting at the church. You can get caught up in the music. Oh, I've seen people get caught up in the music. I've seen, them, I've seen them show up for the music and then go home. 
when we were at another church. I, I mean, they, they literally, they were there long enough for the music, and then they all went home or went on to wherever they went. And it's like, what in the world? But David, when he looked back at the sanctuary and he saw the offering and he saw the priest, he didn't see all of that. He didn't see all the gemstones. He might have seen them, but what he was looking for was a meeting with God. He says here in this word, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen in the sanctuary. We know David had a heart after God, a man after God's own heart. When he went to the sanctuary, he saw the power and the glory of God. Not in the things that man built. Not in the things that were put up there that God had made to be put up. But God did all of that. Not so that you would see it, but that you would see him. And you got to remember that in your own life. If God's using you to reach other people, you're inconsequential. He's doing it for his glory. That young couple on the beach, that man in the prison, reading his Bible, confessing. I'm not glorifying it but I am glorifying the God who convicted that man so many years later to confess to a crime that put him in for the rest of his life because he'd been reading the Bible and God began to move on his heart. And he said, I can't face God with this on my conscience. I can't stand before a holy God with this unconfessed sin. He could accept Jesus Christ as his Savior, but he needed to let go of that burden. He would see bars for the rest of his life, but at the end of his life, if he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he would see the glory of God and the power of God. And David's desire was to see that glory and power. He longed to see the same glory and power. David sought to see God not only in the sanctuary, but right where he was. You know, this is where we have an advantage over David. You say, well, how do we have an advantage over David? He was a king. He was a man after God's own heart. But he longed for the day that we have. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, when you got when, when Jesus died on the cross, God reached down that veil that separated the priests. They only went in once a year. God grabbed that veil, and it says it rent from the top to the bottom. Wasn't two strong men on the bottom pulling it apart. It was ripped from the top to the bottom. There was no more need of the Holy of Holies because now God dwells within us. But you know what else happens? You get so caught up in the church, people get so caught up and they don't look for God. They don't see God past all the trappings. They don't see God past the great building. They don't see God past the bus ministry. They don't see God past the expensive doors. They don't see God past everything. They just show up and they're so caught up in the building and they're so caught up in everything that's going on and said, man, this is how we do church. But they miss God. 
And here we have, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, but you know what happens? People get caught up with the temple. People get caught up with their own bodies. They get caught up with their own lives. They get caught up with their own selves. And you can do the same thing that people do to the church building. You can get so caught up in your own self that you don't see the glory and the power of God. You want a heart like David? You want to be someone after God's own heart? You've got to see the power and the glory of God. Not get caught up in everything, but see God for who he is. All through this. David said, David's soul not only thirsted for God and his flesh longed for God, but he sought God early. Maybe you've thought about it and you said, you know, I'm, I'm in that dry, thirsty land. Maybe you thought about it and you, and you said, you know, I do want to see the power and the glory of God. I want to see past all the traffics. I've spent a little bit too much time worried about everything that's going on around me, and I haven't seen God working in my own life. I haven't seen the things that God's prepared for them that love him. And you know the solution's so easy? It's right here in the first verse. It's one of the first things that David says right after he says, Oh God, thou art my God. That's the first thing, is you've got to understand God is your God. He's not some distant far away spirit in the sky or something like that. You know, that song used to irritate me. He's not some distant. He came to dwell with us that he might know us. We have a high priest in Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with Jesus Christ. But you know how you make the connection with God? You know why you're walking around spiritually dry in a dry, thirsty land? You know why you might be longing for the Lord right now in your heart? You know why you might be saying, you know, I'm, I'm just not as close as David was. I, I just don't understand it. David said, I will seek thee early. Let me tell you something. Sometimes it's just that simple. You know, there's a couple of earlies. One is early in life. Because if you seek God early in life, you have an opportunity to do things for the Lord. People put it off. They say, well, I'll sow my wild oats. Let me tell you something. Those wild oats come with poison. Those wild oats come with baggage. Those wild oats come with clutter. You don't wait till you get older. You don't wait till everything's done. You say, Lord, I don't have it all figured out. Rachel Scott Joy didn't have forever. She, she didn't have a lifetime, and she didn't know it. But she said, take me, O oh Lord. This life of filth and worthlessness to you I willingly give. She did it when she was young. She's in heaven right now. Because she made that decision. Well, Keith, you, you saying, you know, would she still be alive if she hadn't? Would she say, there was a lot of people that weren't saved that day. 
There were kids hiding under desks, and they hunted them all down. They had no conscience. They had no, they had no compunction about doing it. They were on a power trip. It didn't matter, saved or not. She gave her testimony, but it doesn't mean that she wouldn't have died anyway. She sought God early. She didn't wait for some time that she didn't have. person that I'm thinking of, you think you'd have forever. And in one week, within two weeks, you got no more time. Everything changed. David said, I will seek thee early. So you got saved. You accepted Christ. It's a good thing when you're older. If you're on your deathbed, you can accept Jesus. Don't, don't go to hell with pride. But here's the other application. He said, I will seek thee early. And I thought about this. The day gets busy. I've preached this. Sometimes it just hits you again. You know, that time in the morning, whatever's going on for the day, if we don't make that time, you're condemning yourself to a dry, thirsty land. You're condemning yourself to a day where you got to figure it out on your own or God will help you through, and you're still God's child But without taking that time to get in his word, without taking that time to hear from him through his word, without taking that time to pray to him and set your mind on his power and his glory, you're depriving yourself. You're in the wilderness in a dry, thirsty land. 